0: This is Allison Janney.
1: This is Matt Balmer.
0: This is Donna Murphy.
1: This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts Podcast with my favorite person on the planet, Ilana Levine. A-OK.
0: Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a of and friends with some revelations. Little known fact of the day. Every little thing's gonna be A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. New episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday, and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider, Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, not only does he sing like a rock star, but he is also apparently a shark of a poker player. Welcome, Anthony Rapp. A-OK. My guest today is Anthony Rapp who began acting professionally at the age of 6 he's had a film and theater career that has spanned decades his film career began with the adventures of babysitting
1: but adventures in babysitting alana
0: that's so crazy because i've been looking up the adventures of babysitting and nothing comes up see that's
1: that there's that's why you see
0: i think of it though more like it's more of babysitting is it to is chris columbus alive.
1: He's alive, Yeah.
0: Could we call him? I think it might be interesting to see if you could get a whole new generation into it if it's of babysitting. Sure.
1: Well, they are remaking it on the Disney Channel. They are? Or if, I don't know if they've already done it or if it's coming out. But uh, A
0: series or a no, film? No, I think
1: just a, like a made-for-Disney Channel movie, Adventures in Babysitting, updated. I think it's going to be very different.
0: Host Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration here back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be okay Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. You'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. He's an author. He's an activist. He's the Charlie Malusi and he is my friend. So welcome, Anthony Rapp.
1: Thank you, Lana Levine.
0: I am so thrilled to have you here. I also should mention in that long list of accomplishments that you also host a podcast called The Clubhouse, mm-hmm. which is uh, something I want to plug because it's fantastic if you're a fan of baseball or if you're just a fan of Anthony Rapp. It's really fun to watch him in a whole other genre talking about something that's not theater but equally close to his heart. Yeah, Would that be fair to say? Sure, yes, thank you. You have a lot of interests. I do. A lot of passions. Yes,
1: and I feel like it's so important to have lots of interests and passions outside of showbiz because showbiz is a crazy world to try to only live. That's why so many people who are in showbiz can go crazy right? because they don't have enough outside of showbiz. I mean, you don't seem
0: crazy at all. Uh,
1: I'm not sure what you mean. (laughs) You seem Um,
0: amazing. (laughs) No, I mean, after... This is a room with padded walls, so it probably looks familiar to you. I want to talk to you a little bit about your early days. You were on stage on Broadway at the age of 10. Is that right? That's
1: right, yeah. Go Hmm. back
0: a little bit with me and our listeners to young Anthony in Illinois.
1: I was born in Chicago, grew up outside Chicago in Joliet. My mom was a single mother nurse. I had my older brother Adam, older sister Anne, so it was the three of us.
0: Were you aware of her challenges, or did she find a way to wrap it in bows?
1: My memory is that she would share with us a little bit of just the realistic situations, like if we couldn't afford to do X, Y, or Z. But it wasn't like a doom and gloom situation. So one summer, she got a job at a summer camp in northeastern Pennsylvania, being the camp nurse. Oh, that's cool. Um, So the three of us went to the camp for the summer because she was working there.
0: Do you remember how old you were at the time? I was six.
1: So technically, when you said I started professionally at six, I didn't. I started professionally at nine, but my first performance was when I was six. The little kids could do The Wizard of Oz. So I auditioned, and I got cast as the Cowardly Lion. I hadn't ever taken a singing lesson at that point, or I I hadn't taken any classes or anything. I think I'd been to one show at that point. My mom uh, took me to a production of The Sound of Music when I was pretty young. And like so young that the ushers were like, We don't think he should go in. Right. And she's like, No, he'll be good. And, right. and I was completely you were fine. enraptured by it.
0: Okay, so you went to camp. You pissed a lot of kids off because sure. you kind of swept in and got the cowardly line. And they're like, We've been coming here for 12 years, but whatever.
1: The next summer, the counselors did a production of Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. Yes. And they cast me as a kid as Snoopy.
0: Wait a minute. So you kind of cheated a little. By the time we got to You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown on Broadway, you'd done a little research exactly. for 20. Okay. Exactly. You had a little edge on so everybody So I played else.
1: Snoopy at seven with the counselors playing, you know, the other roles. After the second summer, after doing those two shows. Where
0: you swept the summer season yes. by playing.
1: <laughs> I came home to Joliet. I found an ad in the local Joliet Herald News advertising auditions for a local community theater production of a musical version of A Christmas Carol. And I called and scheduled myself an audition. It was never any, like, thinking of, like, a career. I didn't know what that was. I didn't think about showbiz. Nothing. I just knew I loved doing it. And I found that. I was an enterprising young kid. I was very precocious. and, And then my mom was incredibly supportive. So from that, I did more community theater. And then there was a director that I did, like, three or four shows with at his community theater who recommended to her that I auditioned for professional work in Chicago. And I was fortunate enough to start getting work. My first my first equity job, my first professional job, was in the first national tour of Evita.
0: So how did you get a major motion picture well, at such a young age?
1: I actually don't remember this, but I auditioned for The Shining back in the day. And apparently I was in the running, but they were concerned I was a little too young because mm-hmm. I was very, very young mm-hmm. at that point. But... A big leap happened when I got cast in a play called Precious Sons here in New York with Judith Ivey and Ed Harris. I've been acting for all these years, but it was the first time I really started to learn like the big sort so of So are you how old are you? 14, are you t- 14. And I got, you know, really nice reviews and I got nominated for a Drama Desk Award and I won an Outer Critics Circle Award and I got a New York agent. Later that year they were auditioning Adventures of Babysitting in Chicago.
0: So you go back home.
1: Yeah, and go back to high school.
0: And once you started getting movies, did you go back to school in between? Yeah,
1: I always was going back to school. And when I did Avengers Babysitting when I was 15, my father's second wife uh, was a lawyer, and she helped get me emancipated so I wouldn't have to work under child labor laws.
0: They would have cast someone over 18 and just have them play a kid?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've had a weird life. I just have had an unusual life. All along the way, my mother was just very, very supportive. And she, I mean, she had a tough upbringing. She was the eldest of 13 kids. There was not a lot of support. And I think she really pledged herself to be as supportive as possible to what her kids wanted to do with their lives and to make it all possible. And Adam was, like, avidly an athlete. And he was a high-level athlete. He he won a basketball scholarship to college. And Mom was certainly supportive of his athletic endeavors. But I do know that, like, going to a game didn't mean as much to her of as course, going to a play.
0: I think that one is drawn to the things they're drawn to. And I think you and your mom shared that in common. Yeah. You're wanting to do it and her loving being around it yeah. and feeding off the artists. I mean, all of it kind of worked in conjunction. And I think that, you know, clearly all of you really have found beautiful, full lives. Yes. And she was so at the center of that. I guess it's kind of extraordinary to me, raising kids myself now, I keep circling back to thinking about you at that age and having that kind of confidence, which some of it can be learned and some of it is just what you're born with. Your voice is One of the most uniquely special voices to listen to. And I've had the pleasure of doing that a lot as a huge fan of yours. When did you understand that you had a gift as a singer and not just as an actor?
1: I did Oliver four times as a kid, Mm -hmm. like playing Oliver in four Mm -hmm. different productions. And that's a pretty big sing. You know, like singing Where's Love and singing Who Will Buy. And I always really enjoyed that. So I think that was part of it. But that's a child's voice. When I when did
0: your voice become the voice we know now?
1: Um, I mean, it was I didn't really do a musical for many years. Rent was the first musical that I'd done professionally in many years. And I was 22 when I did the workshop. So uh, I guess it was in that time. But I did not have a lot of confidence in my singing at that point. Or I just didn't know... Certainly with a huge, the huge task of singing that score, I didn't know how I was going to hold up.
0: The song you auditioned for Ren for was Losing My Religion that's by R.E.M. Is that yeah, right? That's
1: right. Uh, after I moved to New York for good in the fall of 89, not long after that, I found a, an acting class that I really loved. One of the exercises we did was called the Hero Exercise.
0: And was Michael Stipe the hero? Yeah, Michael okay. Stipe
1: was the hero. And what was heroic to me about him was his authenticity. I also loved the way that he was using his stardom to talk about issues and mm-hmm. political issues. Do you think you know? that
0: in any way played a part in your own honesty about coming out as a gay actor really early in your career sort of looking at heroes who were very honest about who they were That
1: happened before that from working with Larry Kramer
0: and how old were you then?
1: Um, 21-ish
0: And are you one of the first people to do that?
1: I think so Yeah, I was certainly early in you know in yeah, New York especially
0: um, to put it in fine print
1: yeah. But it was important to me and it always was. And I know it's been a lot of years since then. And I'm really, I'm always still glad when I see actors doing that or any kind of public figure. I mean, I think it continues to make a huge difference. I really do. I mean, my first real boyfriend, my first real relationship, I would would call it, was when I was, I met him at NYU. I came to NYU for one semester and we were together certainly more than six months. Um, Some enough time my mom came to visit me in New York and she met him and that's when I came. So when I came out officially when I claimed it for myself too, my mother was calling her on the phone to talk to her about my about him. So that's what I say. So I was like 18.
0: So I really thought about it. Like, is there a way to catch up with Anthony Rapp and not talk about Rand? Can you talk about what that is for you?
1: I can tell you that being a part inside of it at the time. I I knew always that I was a part of something really meaningful and beautiful and special. But the question was, would it reach the level of success that I felt it deserved? You never know.
0: Right, Anything can happen.
1: I mean, we got mostly great reviews, but there were a couple of people who didn't like it. And if, the, if that, at the time, the way that things were going, if that particular person who didn't like it happened to write for the New York Times, I might not be Different here having story. this conversation. You, you can't know. So I was really crossing my fingers that it was going to be met with what I felt it deserved. So the fact that it was, and what I felt it deserved, why I felt it deserved to be met with that was that I felt like everybody involved with it, from Jonathan Larson, Michael Greif, Jim Nicole, the artistic director of the New York Theatre Workshop, all of the cast, everyone, we had... Our heart in the right place. We had our eye on telling a story that was meaningful and important and talking about things that weren't being talked about and using this medium, which can communicate, you know, music can communicate on a level that words alone can't. Mm.
0: And those harmonies. Yeah.
1: So the fact that then all of this, and I'm a pretty idealistic person. So the fact that my ideals were met with the reality and it, it, like not even met with, but it far ex- the reality far exceeded anything like my wildest dreams and hopes of how it could be received mm-hmm. is so profoundly validating that that, uh, I don't know, it just reaches to the very core of my being. And it's why all these 20 years later, I will never, you say, you know, do we want to talk without talking about it? It was a once in a lifetime situation. Yeah. And if I'm so lucky to be a part of anything again that has any kind of that reach, great. Right. I mean, I won't say no. Right. But one of the things that I'm so thrilled about being not in Hamilton, and I don't know if this will make any sense, I get to, in a way, feel like what all these people have felt because right. I'm such a huge fan of Hamilton, and I'm having such an experience of it. Yeah. That it it helps complete the the that other little piece of the puzzle for me of what Rent is right because I feel the same what I feel is so much like what got reflected to me from people who saw and loved rent
0: I know that you and Adam tour together Adam Mm -hmm. Pascal when you guys perform together first of all is that the most fun
1: it's really it's just it's just like wearing the most comfortable clothes in Mm -hmm. the world Mm -hmm. and it's just trust and respect and love and camaraderie and I mean, we don't talk all that often in life. He's got two kids himself, but we have this thing, this profound chord of energy or whatever you want to call it that just connects all of us who are part of that show. We have that. Do you, you have know.
0: favorite songs from Rent?
1: Uh, what You Own, for me to sing. As an audience member, when I've seen good productions of it, some of the moments that move me the most are the i Reprise mm. and Will I. Mm-hmm. And uh, the finale. And the older I get and the more time on this earth I live, the more I love the finale even more and more and more. The interweaving lyric that the men are singing um, No Day But Today and the women are singing I Die Without You. Right. And that both things are true. Yeah. And they don't cancel each other out.
0: Jonathan Larson passed away on the first preview of the show – but not on Broadway.
1: Right. Off, We were doing it at the New York Theatre Workshop. Okay. He was alive for the dress rehearsal. Right. The invited dress rehearsal. Our, our mutual friend, John Benjamin Hickey. I'll never forget his reaction after the show. He ran up to me and he went, you guys are all fucking incredible. I wanted to fuck each and every one of you.
0: <laughs> That's the highest praise. I know. What higher praise is there? Especially it from John like, Benjamin I Hickey.
1: Wow. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no. Jonathan was very much alive for the dress rehearsal. I mean, it was, it, it was an amazing. I mean, I've been a part of some really, you know, Six Degrees of Separation was a big deal. Yep. I had a small part in it. Yes, It was yes. a very big deal. But yes. I can remember the dress rehearsal for Six Degrees of Separation. We were playing the Mitzi House, which in Lincoln Center is the small theater downstairs, and the Beaumont is the Broadway theater upstairs, which was playing Some Americans Abroad, which is a pretty quiet play. Right. The laughter and cheering from Six Degrees of Separation went through. The ceiling, so that the actors on stage of Some Americans Abroad were hearing it. It was that electric. So that was my closest sort of touchstone. And then Six Freeze right. went on to be this huge success. The Rent dress rehearsal was like that. And Jonathan was surrounded by people afterwards. And it wasn't just his friends, I promise you. It no, was like, he had
0: it, though. He got yeah, to experience yes. that.
1: So people glommed on him, wanted to talk to him. You know, my agent. Tears in her eyes, shaking. You know, so... That happened. And the New York Times had sent Anthony Tomasini. He was a—I don't know what his job is currently still, but he was writing for, for like, the classical music stuff. And it was the 100th anniversary of La Boheme.
0: Right. So perfect. Coincided. perfect story. So he's like,
1: oh, I should go check out this East Village adaptation. So he just happened to be there. He wasn't going to—he wasn't reviewing it, you know, just to have included in his piece. Mm -hmm. He was so struck by what he'd seen that he asked Jonathan to sit for an on-the-spot interview. So, you know, Jonathan, 35 years old, had been plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. Nothing had happened and Mm -hmm. was on the verge. And he knew, you know, one of the things that's been the 20th anniversary this year. And so like his old friend, Victoria Leacock, has been sharing some stories. And the other day she posted something about Facebook because people were talking about like the different perceptions of how much can we ever can we know? how much he did know or didn't know of what was to come. And she was like, no, absolutely he knew that, he, that he, he had a hit. Again, you never know for sure, but he was so confident. I mean, that brings me some comfort. So the last time I saw him was through the box office window, which was the only quiet place in the little New York theater workshop. Play. That was the only place to go was where he was doing his interview with Anthony Tomasini. He knew enough about everything to know that an interview with the New York Times is a big deal. So I saw him, and of course I was going to see him the next day. And then he went home afterwards and he put on a kettle on the stove to make some tea and he dropped dead on his kitchen floor. And his, and his roommate came home in the middle of the night and found him. That's when it happened. It was before the first official preview off-Broadway.
0: So how long after you did Rent Off-Broadway did you guys move to Broadway? Very quickly. And was everyone in the cast really friends and family in the way that the public perceived yes. it?
1: Yes, yes. No, absolutely. And especially after Jonathan died. And we, we already were very, we got we were getting along great anyway. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. loved the piece and we were having a, an incredible time. And then when he died, it just fused us together. And I suppose, you know, in times of crisis, people can either splinter apart or come together. And we came together. We were just lucky in a way, looking back, that it was the piece that it was because it helped us. Yeah. Because the piece is about living in the face of tragedy living in the face of loss living in the face of crisis
0: so was there a point where you as a performer were able to let go of the tragedy surrounding the show and just do the show
1: you know in the middle of all of that it was so intense plus i was going through the illness of my mother and the and her last year on earth while I was doing all this. So, I mean, it was just like I was exhausted. And so when I was able to come back to the show, it was much more simply about telling the story. Right. And that was there was something that was very refreshing about that, honestly. Yeah. And I had more in reserve then. I could actually wasn't so wrecked by it. Was Charlie
0: Brown, was that character the next character you played after Mark Cohen?
1: Yeah. So I did the run in New York. And then part of how I decided when I wanted to leave the run in New York, because I didn't want to leave for any stupid reason really I mean, forever so right special. I mean why would you as exhausting as it was it was still but uh we found out that it, there was gonna be a London production and I wanted to go to London and take that opportunity so I worked backwards and said I want to take a little time off between to have a break replenish my brain and body a little bit and then did it in London for s- six months of run seven months including rehearsal and while I was in London is when I got the call to audition for Charlie Brown so I made a video from London and got cast so going back to charlie like going back to having done charlie brown when i was a kid part of what was so hard of walking away from rent for me too was that it was the last thing my mom saw me do she was well enough to come to opening night on broadway which was extraordinary so the thought of doing the first thing I was going to do with that she wasn't going to be able to witness was very strange for me to think about. And the fact that it was Charlie Brown, which was something that she, and it wasn't the same part, but it was another piece that she had a connection to. Yeah, there's poetry, great poetry in that. And also just that it was something so much less intense was very, very, very appealing, you know, sort of gentler. Totally.
0: I had never done a musical before, but for me, it was a very special moment in time. And I think the song Seasons of Love will remain a song that people think of when they think of musical theater songs that really resonate. And I think Happiness is truly an extraordinary song that penetrates everyone's heart.
1: Happiness is finding a pencil and then pizza with sausage. No, because there's different versions. Yeah, Happy I have to. Well, that's the other reason that I, whenever All I right. put it in my set, I have to like review right. the lyrics because there's different versions of it too. We our version was slightly so. Different. There's yeah.
0: the uh, explicit lyric one <laughs> 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 that you know you yeah. can't do in certain concerts, sure, and then there's the kind of more family sure, friendly one, sure, which sure, had sausage and sharing a sandwich. Yes, B.D. Wong still gives me crap. I'm sorry, but he likes to say that I'm the one who's pitchy during that particular harmony, but. I don't know. I've listened to it. I think maybe he is.
1: Well, well you know.
0: There's the Pitch Wars. Do you know yes. <laughs> Do you know that new reality show? It, it,
1: I, I do sign Charlie Brown stuff fairly often over the years, you know, at stage doors and stuff. People have.
0: have I know. Have, I have people tell me how much their mother loved it, and I'm just thrilled every time. Yeah. It was my mother's favorite show. I'm like, you're 20. <laughs> okay. Can you talk a little about... Broadway Con, sure. And what's happening with that?
1: This year was the first Broadway Con, and I started just reaching out to friends. You know, I was in If Then at the time, so for some of the first people I talked to were like Jen Calella, who was in the right. show with me, right. and Samika Lawrence, who was in the show with right. me, and Lashawn, right. who was in the show with me, and said, "You know, we're putting this together. I Will promise it's going to be us? really good. Will you join us?" Like, of course, sure. Yeah. So, what's
0: next for you? You're going back to If Then.
1: Adam Pascal and I have several concerts. There. It's
0: called Acoustically Speaking. Right?
1: Is, that, is that? I don't even know. That's like what the they're things calling Things changing. Uh, I mean.
0: Acoustically speaking, a twenty year friendship will be presented at different intimate venues. Would that? Sure. Does that sound fair? Sure, sure, sure. I want to come watch an intimate friendship be revealed sure. on stage. Sure. I could really talk to you for the next five years, but that can't happen today. I can't. But I hope you will come back.
1: Anytime. And
0: uh, it's just thrilling to get to kind of catch up with you and hear about all the amazing things you're doing. And thank thank you you for sharing it with us. And you're a singular talent. And I feel really privileged to live on the planet at the same time as you, Anthony Rapp. So Thank thank you for being here. Hey, I'm Alana Levine. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review our show in the iTunes show page. Little Known Facts is recorded at the Hangar Studios in New York City.
1: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping